Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 31 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. We're coming to you from Tampa, Florida. And I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. And uh, just want to uh, acknowledge the wonderful Tampa Undie that took place this past Saturday. It was, uh, as always, it was a wonderful event and uh, a lot of money was raised and it was great to see and reconnect with a lot of my old uh, friends that I haven't seen in some time coming out uh, for the Tampa Undie. And uh, this was my, let's see, this was my third uh, Undie and uh, it's, it's just a wonderful event. So if you get the chance to participate in an undie run walk uh, taking place uh, near where you live and you haven't done so in the past, go on out. It's just a great event. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you don't have to be a runner. Uh, you don't even have to do the one mile fun walk. You can just come out and, and celebrate survivors and uh, cheer on those that are participating uh, it's, it's, it's just, like I said, it's a fantastic event and, uh, one that I hope uh, more and more people get a chance to take, uh, take part in some updates on some things going on in the colon cancer community coming up on Wednesday, February 10th at 7 PM Eastern time is an online webinar, uh, geared towards people who are interested in volunteering with the colon cancer Alliance. I've served as a buddy volunteer for many years now, and it's a uh, it's a great experience. It's very rewarding. Uh, if you or someone you love uh, has been diagnosed, you know what that's like, and to have someone who's already been down that road uh, to talk to and ask questions and just get some support from really uh, is. Um, you know, it's very helpful and, uh, you know, just to have that support and someone that knows what you're going through. And we are always looking for volunteers to join the Colon Cancer Alliance. So if you want to learn more about those opportunities, you're not really sure where you should start. Uh, this webinar is Volunteer 101, uh, informational webinar. And again, uh, it's on Wednesday, February the 10th. 7 p.m. Eastern Time. More information is available on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. If you live in the vicinity of Douglas County, Georgia, there's a Blue Tie Gala event coming up. Uh, BP Enterprises LLC is sponsoring an evening of blue magic to support the Colon Cancer Alliance mission and vision. And uh, tickets will be available soon online. Uh, you can find out more about that event also on the Colon Cancer Alliance website. And there's another webinar coming up uh, again Wednesday evening. This is February 17th, uh, same time as the volunteer webinar. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And this webinar is sharing the latest information in colorectal cancer and this is coming from uh, findings from the 2016 American Society, Society of Clinical Oncology GI Cancer Symposium. Lots of information uh, 
that came out of this conference, uh, updates on treatment and research, patient care, and a lot more. Uh, and that, again, is an online webinar that takes place on Wednesday, February 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Again, same place. More information, go to the Call Cancer Alliance website, ccalliance.org. And uh, the next stop on the Undie Run Walk Tour after Tampa. Next stop is all the way across country, and uh, we'll be in Sacramento, California on Saturday, February 27th at 8 a.m. Uh, the uh, 5K run, one-mile walk, is uh, taking place out in Sacramento, and I know the team out there is uh, excited and is working hard to make that a great event. It takes place um, in, uh, in Sacramento, and for more information, go on the website undyrunwalk.org. Again, that's undyrunwalk.org to register, to donate, and for more information. My guest for this week's podcast is Kim Hall Jackson. Uh, Kim has a uh, very inspiring story to share as a uh, seven, almost eight-year survivor of uh, colorectal cancer. And Kim is working so hard to make an impact in the African-American community in the Philadelphia area and uh, has created and is involved in a wonderful event that she uh, was a partner in, in starting called the Black and Blues, so uh, taking place at a uh, great uh, restaurant in the Philadelphia area with blues music and, and getting information and dispelling myths about colonoscopies and, and raising uh, awareness on this critical issue uh, throughout the African-American community. So join me now for my conversation with Kim Hall Jackson. Good evening, Kim. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I was re rereading uh, uh, some notes that I had and some of your stories that were shared online. And uh, I don't know, uh, you probably are aware of this. I know we're all kind of tuned into the day that... Uh, that we were delivered the tough news, but uh, you're coming up on eight years now. Is, isn't that right? That's correct. Um, I was diagnosed in December of 2008, so this is my eighth year I'm heading into. Wow. Wow. Um, take me back to that time and how you came to be diagnosed. Sure. It, you know, it started earlier in the year. I was working... Um, an event. I was actually working uh, the mayor of Philadelphia. Um, it was the city inaugural celebration. I'm an event planner and I was kind of freelancing this event. Uh, and I went to the bathroom and I, I had a blood discharge. And I knew that I had never seen it before. I knew it was extremely unusual. And you know, I called my husband immediately and said, hey, you know, I just saw this. And he said, you know, are you sure it's not your cycle? Are you sure, you know, it's not uh, an injury or something? I'm like, no. He said, what did you eat for lunch? And, you know, we start rolling through the food I've eaten that day or the day before. Basically, like tomatoes and beets and things like that. And um, I, I knew that something was wrong. So I, after I completed the event, I reached out to my doctors, um, my primary and my GYN. Uh, told them what I had seen, 
and they said, okay, let's get you in here. And they both, you know, I had appointments. We checked for hemorrhoids. We checked for um, uh, any tears and anything, you know, and we didn't get to the colonoscopy uh, process. Maybe, maybe almost three, four months after that, that they said, okay, let's go with a colonoscopy. And because it never happened again, it wasn't urgent, but it was definitely a concern. And then later in the year, I actually had the colonoscopy. And that was the day um, I actually got the news that uh, there was a polyp that was removed. And it came back um, with a phone call from the GI doctor saying, we need to get you in here. It says uh, carcinoma in situ. And I was floored. You know, just the word carcinoma sent me sure, into a dizzy. I understand. And what was the initial uh, staging of the diagnosis? Um, the initial staging was stage one. Um, everyone said I was very lucky. We caught it early. Um, and it was stage one. It was a very small tumor. And they felt that I would just need to have surgery <clears throat> with a temporary os- uh, ileostomy and then have it reversed, and then continue on with my life. I was diagnosed in December 2008. Uh, There was no rush for me to schedule surgery, so we didn't uh, schedule surgery until February of 2009. Uh, Met with my family, my children, and we talked about we would just go ahead and celebrate our holiday season, which included Kwanzaa and uh, some other family events. We would celebrate those those, events. events as normal. And in February, I would have this surgery, uh, be in the hospital three to five days, come out, have a bag. <laughs> I didn't even understand how that bag thing was working at the time. I described it as best I could. And then I would get it reversed and life would go on. It would be off before my birthday, which was in April. And of course, uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, I scheduled surgery for February uh, the 9th, I believe, and surgery went well. I had the bag. I had to figure out how to work with that. And then at my two-week appointment with my doctor, uh, my surgeon, the follow-up appointment, uh, that's when I was uh, dealt another blow, which was the pathology report came back from the tumor that was removed. And I was not stage one, but I was indeed stage three. Uh, that there was activity or polyps were involved. Um, and I would have to have chemo radiation. Yeah, I see. So sure. I had kind so of then two you blows. went through the standard protocol for rectal cancer, which was uh, chemo, radiation, and then more chemo? Chemo, radiation, and more chemo. Gotcha. Yes. Um, I did uh, the second one, chemo radiation, and then chemo infused radiation. So I had I had them kind of double down on me with um, the dosage at the end. You you mentioned um, you know us survivors know how difficult it is to hear those words. You have cancer. And, and I saw in one of your interviews, you talked about what's even harder, and that's having to repeat those words to your family. Uh, tell, tell me about that and, and, and what that was like for you. 
Yeah, that was that was difficult. Um, my husband and I have six children. We're both second marriage with a blended family. Uh, one member of my family is my nephew, who I legally adopted when my sister passed in 1999 from sickle cell anemia. And it was really difficult to tell all the children, but I was um, especially concerned with him and his response uh, because he had lost his mom. And I just remembered the look on my children's faces. I think my husband and I rehearsed what we were going to say a couple of times upstairs in the bedroom. And we brought the family together downstairs in the family room. And their, the look on their faces was um, devastating. You know, I felt like I, I had given them the worst news ever. Um, and we tried to be upbeat and positive and uh, give them the positive prognosis. Because at that time, I was still stage one. And it was just a really um, difficult task. You know, it's not something that a parent wants to tell a child ever. Um, it was also difficult for me to tell my mother. You know, my mother um, had two daughters. So I'm the last remaining daughter difficult for me to tell her as well. You know, I didn't want her to feel like she was going to lose me. Um, and we're only talking eight years after losing my sister. So the, it was very, very difficult. Our children range, <laughs> the age range ranged from, I want to say, mid-20s to maybe 12. And they all just had that really um, shocked look on their face, you know. Sure. And then we'll fast forward to today. As you look back, Kim, mm -hmm. uh, how has this, uh, has your journey uh, impacted your relationship with your, with your children and with your family? Um, it's impacted us in a, in a really positive way there. Um, I think during the, the process of me going through surgery, chemo, radiation, and, um, reversal and I think um, some of the children had a difficult time seeing me that way you know you get really thin you're weak um, you know you're not doing what you normally do in your household and it took a minute for me to accept being um, taken care of instead of being a caretaker and there were some role reversals but from that I think where we are today is that we really value um, our time together, we really value each other's um, presence and space and opinions and hugs and kisses. I'm pretty sure I am over the top with extra hugs and kisses and saying I love you. And they've accepted that about yeah, me. Those are good things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they were kind of the age where they're trying to pull away from me. So I got to milk it a little bit. Um, but I am. Uh, really close to my children. They were my strength. You know, my husband was my rock. My children was my strength. And my mother and my mother-in-law were my faith, you know. And those three things kept me really centered and focused. And I was able to just get through it. I enjoyed reading uh, some of uh the things that you that were in, I think it was in the Cancer Today article, going back a little bit of time, 
uh, and reading about your husband, Jeffrey, and the things that you enjoy doing. Uh, he does, if I remember correctly, uh, he does enjoys African drumming and you have, do African dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about Jeffrey. So uh, Jeffrey uh, is, he does African drumming. He's in, he does drumming. Uh, but he's also um, a mental health professional. So I tell people all the time, not only is he a mental health professional, but I'm his number one patient. <laughs> so having um, somewhat a mental health background um, was phenomenal. It was really good because he gets uh, the process that you're going through in terms of acceptance or grieving and um, coming to terms with mortality. And while he didn't beat me over the head with the information, he was just um, there. He was just a constant. He was funny. He was supportive. Um, he allowed me to be upset. Um, he always believed in me, always believed that I would get to the other side, even when I didn't believe it. Uh, you know, oftentimes I would uh, wake up or just kind of pull my, my life together in a thought and say, you know, is this really happening? Do I really have cancer? Am I going through treatment? You know, some days it felt like a really bad nightmare. And he uh, is a solid guy. He's a he's an awesome guy. Uh, I loved him very much before and I love him even more now. He, he was the person I needed when I needed most. Um, he's awesome. I have a great husband. It really is a blessing to have someone like that by your side, isn't it? It is. It really is. I understand. <laughs> I understand. So uh, you are an event planner, which I would assume means you're very uh, have a very organized way about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that background, uh, if if indeed it did at all? impact how you approached uh, your treatment and how you uh, dealt with uh, and managed your disease? Uh, yeah, it played a really significant role. You know, as an event planner, I am very organized and very structured. Um, Jeffrey might say OCD. I'm okay with that, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it played a role specifically when I was uh, preparing to go into surgery and getting ready for the first surgery in February 2009. I recall that right after the holidays, I started to get things in order in my house. And by that, I mean, you know, cleaning certain things, shopping for certain foods, uh, preparing foods to store in the freezer, Um, you know, meeting with the people in HR, making sure that all my documents um, and beneficiaries were designated and everything was signed, you know, reviewing my insurance policy, um, making sure that everything was in the proper place in case anything was was to happen. So I got uh, really event planning mode there. And then when I was restaged and I had to look for chemo radiation, um, I got three or four consults before I decided on University of Penn. Um, 
that's not unusual for me to get second, third, and fourth opinions. And all the radiologists and radiologists and oncologists that I interviewed, they all said that I should keep my temporary bag until I completed treatment. That absolutely didn't work for me. I needed to complete that and have it reverse and then move on to chemo radiation. Um, as an event planner, you know, things happen in a specific se sequential order. So to me, I needed to complete that task, have it reverse, and then move into chemo radiation. Um, the oncologist and the radiologist disagreed. Um, we did a consultation with the surgeon who was at a, was at Hahnemann, and my um, chemo radiation team was at University of Penn, and <laughs> they didn't agree. They didn't agree. And uh, I concluded that he would give me a test. And if the test proved that I had healed in the colon with, with the resection that he did, that he would reverse it and then I would move on. Because basically that was his that was his work. So he could tell me whether or not it was healed enough for me to have it reversed. And once we did that, we moved on and I was able to take the next step. But I really needed that specific order to happen. And that's the OCD me <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, I write event flow sheets. Right. That was a treatment flow sheet. And you, but you, you stuck to your I guns, did. so to speak, and you really advocated for what you felt was best for you. Obviously, not you know anything that was harmful, but. Uh, you know, I admire the fact that you knew what you wanted to do uh, and put some thought behind it and uh, got them to see yes. it your way. Right? Yeah. And, you know, I was prepared for the outcome of, you know, it being a little more difficult for me with the side effects of nausea and diarrhea. Um, but for me, I had to have the normalcy of going to the bathroom to make me um, feel uh, more comfortable with going through that process. Because to me, to have that bag and to have those, um, you know, have to use that, it would have, I, I would have felt like I wasn't fighting as hard as I could. So as much normalcy as I could put into the process, the better and the stronger I felt, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. So Kim, you are now uh, that it's been several years, uh, you've made it a focus to do work around raising awareness in the African-American community. Tell me more about that. Sure. Uh, so once I got through my treatment and um, I started to connect with organizations and going to support groups, um, I began to realize that one, uh, there were not a lot of people, there weren't many contacts for me of people of color to talk about my experience. Um, I remember reaching out to the American Cancer Society and they have um, a buddy program. And they actually, what kind of buddy would you like? Well, like a colon or colorectal patient, um, preferably a female and African-American. I figured somebody that looked like me and they didn't have any. Um, the closest they had, I think they did eventually get me a male that was 75, but that was after a period of time. And while I think I can speak to anybody about this, I do think speaking to someone that has 
uh, cultural connectivity to you makes a difference. Um, everybody doesn't need it. It's not required for everything, but sometimes it does make a difference. So what I begin to learn is that um, many people of color know about a colonoscopy, but won't won't go for a colonoscopy. Um, there's a lot of uh, myths <laughs> and untruths about what an actual colonoscopy is. Um, there's a lot of homophobia about what a colonoscopy is. Uh, there's a lot of history of distrust um, in the African-American community about tests um, dating all the way back to um, the, the Tuskegee syphilis uh, trials. I mean, so there's a lot of things that prevent us from getting tested. And what I also learned was that African-Americans have a lower survival rate. Not necessarily that we're diagnosed more than other ethnic groups, but when we are diagnosed, it's normally at a stage three or four. When other ethnic groups can um, catch it earlier and therefore have a better chance of survival. So that's when I became engaged and said, okay, I need to do something. And of course, the thing that I do um, uh, is events. So I created an event to increase awareness and education. And did you find being able to share your personal story, did that start to chip away at some of these barriers that you mentioned? Yes. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just seeing me uh, and saying, oh, you, you had colon cancer? Like, I thought that was a older white male disease. And I'm like, no, it's for everybody. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm not a male, nor am I white. So um, just sometimes seeing someone face to face and having a conversation um, was enough. But the event that I created, which is called the Black and Blues Brunch, was uh, an event to do that specifically to educate, to answer questions, to talk about it in the open uh, formal forum, and to ask um, ask those questions and tell people the importance of it. And after a period of time of just going to different events um, and realizing that people were like shocked that I had colorectal cancer. Uh, that's how the desire to do the event came about. You talked about the challenges that you face in getting this message uh, across in the African-American community. Do you mm -hmm. find it's even a greater challenge, male versus female? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, you know, males, um, African-American males, uh, really don't go to the hospital until they really need to, you know, they're, um, and I can't say that's all of them, but a majority of them don't really, uh, go to the hospital other than for occasional physical, um, or unless they're in pain or an injury. So yeah, to, you know, at the event, I invited people that were <clears throat> 45 years and older, um, African male or female, had a history of colon or any other type of cancer in their family, or you've been told by your doctor, hey, it's time for you to get your colonoscopy. Let's try to get that and make that happen this year. And for some reason, they did not go. 
Um, and people had all kinds of excuses. You know, I don't want to drink the prep. Uh, I didn't have anybody to take me or pick me up. Uh, and I have no idea what they're doing on my backside while I'm, while I'm asleep. You know, just just all kinds of things. And those excuses um, are not worth the risk of you, of losing your life. So I think the more we talk about it, the more we make it uh, a topic of open discussion or a private discussion. If somebody feels better about it, you know, knowledge is power. So the more we talk about it, the more we say things about it, um, the more comfortable we can we can become around it and the more we can get screened, the less death and so on. Yeah, no question. Uh, is is there a certain message that seems to resonate more than others or it's just just keep talking about it, keep providing examples of people they can relate to and identify with that that tends to hit home or, you know, what's been your experience? You know, uh, at the event, um, so, so we did the event. It was called the Black and Blues Brunch. It was hosted here in Philadelphia at a venue called Warm Daddies. Warm Daddies is um, known in Philadelphia for um, Southern food, barbecue, and blues music. So that's why I went with the black and the blue for the color of colon cancer. And we had music. We had a healthy brunch. But what I think resonated was we had several doctors speak. One doctor just talked about, you know, what cancer was and the importance of getting your family history talking to your aunts and uncles and cousins and just finding out what's what's in your family history. The GI doctor talked about how small the scope was. I remember her standing on the stand and holding up um, an ink pen and saying, you know, the scope I use is about this small. And she said, um, most of you have things exiting that are three times this size. You know, and people laughed, but, you know, people... You know, what I thought resonated was that people were like, oh, that's it. You know, they look surprised that she held up a small pen and said, my scope is smaller than this. You know, the rumors and and the uh, untruths that are out there in the streets is just horrible. Um, and then our keynote speaker was um, Kit Shapiro, who was who's the daughter of Eartha Kit, who talked about her mom being diagnosed. Um, late in life and how it was missed and she thought she just needed to eat more fruit or more vegetables so that resonated really well and then my husband and his friend Tony did like a a commercial skit (laughs) and uh, their take was you know my wife is on me to get this colonoscopy and he's like oh you know one said this and the other one said, oh, that's no big deal. I had one before. It's not a problem. And he said, oh, he said, but he said, your cousin, I think he mentioned his cousin. And then he said something like, you know, well, does he still like the ladies? And people laughed. But believe me, people think about those things. You know, mm. it was a funny skit, you know, and basically the question was, you know, after this, after this test, will I still be a man? basically was the undertone of it. And by the amount of laughter in the room, you can tell that it was something that many of the men were thinking about. 
you know, and the fact that they can laugh about it and said, okay, okay, it's not so bad. I'm not the only one thinking about this. I thought was powerful, you know, powerful. And if we have to laugh about it, to talk about it, I'm okay with that. As long as we talk about it and we do something about it, which is ultimately what I want to have happen in our community. Well, I admire and applaud you for the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, we just got to, all of us and all the communities, uh, get out there and, and, and do what we can to make a difference and, and save lives. So thank, thank you. you for what you're doing. Tell me, uh, how has this whole journey, for lack of a better word, uh, changed you as a person, Kim? You know, if the, if the, if the Kim... Uh, prior to 2008, we could see the Kim today, what would she see different? Oh, lots of difference. You know, I, I am aware of my, more aware of my mortality. Um, you know, I knew that I was mortal. I, I, not like I didn't know, but when you're going through treatment and you're going through, um, surgery and it it just changes you you know i tell people i've i was surrounded by family and friends and many many times i felt totally alone um cancer has a way of separating you from everyone else uh, particularly late at night you know when you're by yourself and you're um alone in your in your thoughts so I didn't know what kind of strength I have. I didn't think um, that I was strong enough, uh, but my faith, my family, um, and my great doctors got me through. I think that the person that I was and the person that I am now are two different people. I, I call the other Kim as Kim BC before cancer. <laughs> and. <laughs> And the Kim I am now, you know, and I kind of think of myself now as um, more of a, a warrior, you know. And sometimes I hate to use those terms only because I think having cancer patients have to deal with the fact that you're strong and you're a warrior and you're a fighter all the time doesn't allow you the opportunity to have a bad day. So I don't want to, you know, use that as my only uh, new adjective, but... I'm definitely stronger for having going through it and on the other side. Um, I am definitely a different person. I think I'm um, much more considerate to myself and others. I'm much more appreciative of life. It sounds all kind of cliche. Um, and I'm, I'm really simplified now. Simplified and um, aggressive at the same time. As we wrap up, Kim, a question that I like to ask uh, the folks that I uh, do have the honor and privilege of speaking to is, you know, assuming someone might be listening to our conversation, that uh, they themselves or someone that they care deeply about uh, just was diagnosed with colorectal cancer mm -hmm. and just, just got the news, uh, what message would you share with that person? Be your advocate. Be your own advocate. Um, take the time to, I mean, if you have time, don't take a lot of time, but take time 
to find out what will work best for you. Give yourself the best possible fighting chance. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's your life, it's your battle. And you want to make uh, good informed choices. You know, when you're diagnosed, you don't know anything about cancer. And you have to make informed decisions and become an expert within a matter of days. And that can be quite overwhelming. Um, Sometimes you have to pray about it. Sometimes you have to do your research. Sometimes you have to get a second and third opinion. But whatever it takes for you to have the best information to make the best informed decision, I think is paramount. And sometimes it's not right there. Sometimes it's something that'll come to you um, through a prayer or through a call or through an email or, you know, through an ancestor. But whoever or however you get it, when you get it, make those decisions and don't beat yourself up. That's the other thing. People that have cancer or diagnosed, they beat themselves up. They think about something they've done and say, I've earned this or I've deserved this or because I've done that. Be kind to yourself. Be good to yourself. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Well, Kim, I really appreciate you spending this time with me this evening. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing to make a difference in your community. Uh, I think you really... You're a role model for what you're doing, and I, I'd love to find ways to find uh, how we can get more people to do the great work that you're doing. Uh, I wish you continued good health and good sex, success in all that you do, and uh, be well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure and a privilege. I greatly, greatly appreciate you having me on your show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www. .ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.